Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with my good friend and a man that I have a ton of respect with, uh, Ben Fredericks. How you doing, man? Great, RJ. Good to see you, brother. Yeah, man. So Ben and I, we've, we've been together in Investor Fuel. Uh, we're both, we both were members of that mastermind and uh, we've gotten to know each other over the years. Uh, for the people that don't know who you are, take a quick second, kind of briefly introduce yourself and tell them what it is that you do in real estate. Yeah, th uh, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, our company is Odell Barnes REO, and our primary focus is buying uh, deals in bulk from banks and auction. Uh, and then we tend to redistribute those to investors around the country, but we also deal a lot in owner financing, uh, just creating cash flow and notes that we can sell and retain. So yeah, that's that's pretty much in a nutshell what we do. So. So I know one night at Investor Fuel, Salt Lake City, you and I had a, a couple of drinks and I got to know your story. It's a, it's a really cool story. So uh, share that with our listeners. How, how did you get started with Odell and, and all of your background with, with getting in that niche in real estate investing? Yeah, it, it's really kind of weird. I'm a big believer in the law of attraction and um, it it came all from a Craigslist ad. So it was really just me putting out into the universe what I wanted. Uh, I had been working in financial services for almost a decade and I was so sick of it. I, it was just not my passion at all. And so I wanted to get back into real estate like I was. And, um, you know, I just started seeing, all right, what can I start to syndicate? I knew people with money and I knew there were deals in the market. So I just started, you know, putting it out there and I made a, a post on Craigslist of all places <laughs> and I, I got a call and you know, it, you know how Craigslist calls can go. Sometimes it can be a little weird. And so I got this call and it said, you know, my name is Odell Barnes. This might be the greatest call you ever got. And I just started <laughs> dying laughing. I was like, okay, sure. How, how, how'd you get my phone number? So and he told me Craigslist. I was like, okay. So he just started talking and I started learning about what he did. And I, it blew my mind. I, I never knew that that was a thing, you know, like buying deals in bulk and, you know, getting uh, these tremendous discounts from auction companies and banks. So I really, I just kind of positioned myself as a resource to him. And I think that's what a, a lot of good young investors can learn from is just be a resource to somebody that's doing what you're doing. Right. Find a way to help them. And it can really springboard you into something cool. So that's, that's essentially what happened for me. So when you say you position yourself as a resource, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So I just, I, I really just had a conversation with him and, and to learn more about his business and, and ask what are some of the problems and challenges he has in the business? And he would tell me things and I'd say, okay, uh, if I can find a way to, to help you with those things, you know, would that be a value to you? He's like, absolutely. So for him, it was, you know, uh, more of the marketing piece. He had the acquisitions piece down. It was the disposition and how do I, how do I get my deals out to the marketplace and turn them quicker? So he had a great network, but that 
network can always be bigger. And that's really all I focused on in the beginning. And then my expertise and my financial background really gave a lot of uh, insights for owner finance and, and ways that we could strengthen that. So that was it, man. I and mean, it wasn't any, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the universe. It wasn't like I came up with some great new idea. It was just saying, all right, can I find little ways to help you that you find valuable and would be good for your business? And then in turn, reciprocity is going to happen, you know? Right. So, and I, I got helped in, in uh, just in good turn. What about the phone call kind of instilled some sort of trust in you to, to take that leap of faith to even put any time or energy into working with Odell? Yeah, I think um, initially, right, like I said, with Craigslist, you're, it's a grain of salt, like, okay, right. sure, you're, you're whatever, but um, once I did some research, you know, he'd been on Nightline, he'd been on, you know, all these uh, different shows, it, it was a legitimate person, so, and then I just called back and said, hey, um, where are you, and he happened to have a, a beach house uh, in my area of Florida, and he's like, I'm at my beach house, I was like, that's literally up the road for me, can we go grab a drink? and talk a little bit more. It's like, sure. So that was, and then the relationship just developed from there. So like literally not even two weeks later, I was going to his other house in South Carolina. <laughs> and my wife thought I was nuts, but I was like, this, this could be something. And right. almost four years later, here we are. So, well, you know what, as I interview people and I see partnerships that have developed, I see that it takes a, a bit of a leap of faith you know, you have to have this like intuition that, hey, this could be my moment that changes the course of my career or my life. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I see people that are closed off to that. They're kind of skeptical about everything. You yeah. know, like you said, you know, hey, this is a call from Craigslist. You know how calls from Craigslist go. And, and also the way he introduced himself, like this could be the greatest phone call of your life. You know, it's kind of like, okay, what are you, a Nigerian prince? Like, yeah. you know, wire me $5 million? Like, yeah, I, I can see how you could have easily just skimmed over that. But the thing about it is Odell would have just kept calling until he found somebody else yeah. to fill that position. So, you know, you go to South Carolina, you, you go to a second house. Where does the relationship kind of go from there? And how did y'all develop where y'all are today? Yeah, so uh, basically at that point, he saw a, a, a possible end for me. So basically he said, you know, what you ought to do is go back and get your, your mortgage license. And I work with a lot of investors that you could help with their owner financing. That was the, the area that would be of huge benefit to him because if he could get that locked down where everybody's using the same person, they're creating a, a, a very similar style note that they can sell and move into the marketplace. They can then bring that money back to him to buy more property. So it was a huge benefit. Right. So that's essentially where it started. I started going to note conferences and learning, you know, just to follow the investors, see what they were doing. But I would go to those conferences instead of being just a vendor that would sit at his table, you know, waiting for people to come by while everybody was in the session. I'd go into that session and I'd be in the back just scribbling furiously, learning everything. It was right. like free education, you know, other than what I had to pay to be there. But that, that was where it began to snowball. And I learned these things and I'm like, you know, there's no reason I can't be doing this. Like uh, these, these people aren't any smarter than me, which is not an insult to them. It's just that, you know, they're, they're people that knew something I didn't. And right. so once I figured that out, I was able to say, all right, let me figure out a way 
to implement this and create my own business out of it. And we built up such a, a relationship and friendship that it became a partnership. So, so essentially you're buying properties in bulk from banks and then you're dispoing them out to investors. And then are you offering like RMLO services to them when they want to own or finance? Great question. So initially I was doing all of that, which is like too many cooks in the kitchen. It becomes right. very difficult, you know? So you, you start getting different systems in your business and eventually as entrepreneurs, you will start to get overwhelmed. There's just too much going on. And I was working, you know, like the Beatles, I'm working eight days a week, essentially, <laughs> you know, and event, you can you can only do that for so long. So I was in a, like a year long search to find somebody, you know, to basically take over the MLO piece for me. Uh, and I found an awesome person, Russ O'Donnell. So, um, and he handles all that stuff for us now. So I was just able to pass that off and say, Hey, I'm going to, you're going to be our guy, just get this done for us. And, and that's it. So yeah, it, it was a, a process to get through that. And a lot of times I think that's where some people will get stuck as investors is they want to do everything themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and you just can't do it not to be successful. You just, you only go so far doing everything by yourself. So are you primarily focused on the dispositions at this point in time? Well, yeah, but pretty much. So we have a whole, we have a whole team now. So it's, uh, you know, my job now is just basically to figure out ways that we can improve. So, you know, where I was doing a lot of the dispositions myself, now we have sales team. So my job is to make them better at their job. My job is to find ways to get more deals. It's to find ways to get them through the system faster and more efficiently. So, you know, it's, it's transition to where, you know, you try to become the, the puppeteer, so to speak. So I know you're big into reading and, you know, personal growth and things along those mindset growth and things along yeah. those lines. Uh, do y'all adapt from the, the traction EOS implementation? Do y'all do that at all in your company? Uh, no, I, I spent a lot of time studying guys that um, do different entrepreneurial work. So not necessarily only real estate. So right. uh, people like Andy Frisella, Ed Milet, uh, I've spent a lot of time learning from uh, a great real estate guy, Mark Evans, and just trying to figure out, okay, because he's very big on, you know, magician versus mule. Like, how can I stop being the, the cart carrying mule and be the guy that is just the magician behind all of it? So, yeah, man, I, I, I'm constantly learning. Personal development is like my big thing. I spent so much time doing it because I've got a lot of internal shit to get out. <laughs> you know, that's just been built up over the years. And it's, it's a work in progress always. Well, if you get anything out of today's episode, go way back in the archives. And I have an interview with Mark Evans DM. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one of the most underrated uh, episodes that I've ever done and full transparency. Now that I've been doing this for a while, um, it was also one of the hardest interviews that I've ever done because yeah. he's such a high level thinker. Yeah, I was literally struggling with coming up with questions because he was giving all of the answers already. And I'm like, I don't know what else to ask this guy. <laughs> but looking back at it, it was a, a, an epic interview. So if you're interested in learning about Mark Evans, go back and listen to that. Uh, you brought up Andy Fursella. Uh I know you, you've done the 75 hard. Uh, I think you're actually currently doing it for a second time, right? 
And, and I bring this up because I, I think this is important for people to understand like who you are as a person and how that translates to your success as an entrepreneur. Um, why did that resonate with you? I, I think every time I talk to you, you bring up Andy and, and the, the, the difference he's made to, with you and in your life and in your career. Why is that so important to you? Yeah, I could tell you without any hesitation that the first time I heard uh, the MFCEO project, I heard him, the first episode I listened to was with him and Sean Whalen. Yeah. And I, I, I absolutely hated those guys. Like I turned it off halfway through. I was so annoyed. I was like, these guys are arrogant assholes. I was yep. like, this is, this is some, I just don't get it. And then I, I'll, I'll never forget it. I was actually out walking my dogs and I was, I had it in my mind that like, all right, I need to be doing something different. At the time I was almost 40 years old. I had a new daughter and I was just like, man, I, I need a big change in my life. And then I thought, I was like, man, maybe this is the exact shit I need to be listening to. You know, maybe that's the problem. Yep. So I went back and I listened to it. And I told Sean Whalen this when we, uh, when he came out to Investor Fuel, I was like, man, first time I heard you, I was like, man, I thought you were such a dick. And he started <laughs> laughing. He's like, yeah, I get that a lot. I go, but then I told you, I told him, I was like, man, it was such what I needed to hear because once I started diving into that, I was like, man, all this stuff is true. And it was pissing me off because it was true. You know, it was true about myself. So and sometimes the truth hurts. It's it's hard to take. Yep. So and then the seventy five hard piece that came deeper into it, but I knew my self discipline wasn't where it needed to be. So and if I was going to grow my business, my discipline needed to get far more on point uh, to be able to do it. So to resonate that with my team, but also myself to to keep promises to myself. Yeah, you know, you bring up Sean Whalen, and you know he has the book How to Make Shit Happen, right? Yeah. And the one thing that I hear people say about that book more than anything is it's such a simple book. Yes. It's such a, it's so simple. It's so easy. It's, it's just such an easy read. You know, he doesn't even have page numbers cause it's such a short <laughs> book, you know? Yeah. And, and I know he, he bitches and moans about this all the time when people, you know, say that. But after I read that book, I was like, you know what, this is just another way of people passing on their their own issues. Oh, it's so simple. Well, if it's so simple, why aren't you doing it? Right. You're not living it, you know? And that's why that book made such an impact on me after reading it. I read it in probably 45 minutes. And could I sit there and say, that's a simple read? Sure, yeah, but it punched me right in the mouth and made me realize like, hey, this is why you're having certain issues with your career or with your business or with your personal life because you're not doing these things. And he breaks it down into the core four. It's very four simple things. And so uh, I, that's one of the things that stood out to me the most about you, man, just spending time and seeing how you took information that's readily available and as simple or as sometimes off-putting, like you said, yeah. it, arrogance, you know, but it was coming from a place of truth. Yes. And so sometimes we just blame it on, okay, I don't like that guy because he's arrogant. But in all reality, he's just slapping you in the face and saying, why aren't you doing this? And, and seeing how you have implemented those things and held yourself accountable, um, I think that makes a huge difference for you as an entrepreneur uh, from other people. You know, I, I just, I've seen you been able to, to go out and 
you're one of the few people that I know that openly came out and said, I failed at the 75 hard way into it. The first time you did it, when did you fail at it? Yeah. The first time I I failed was uh, at like 43 days. Right. Most people would not have admitted it, right? They would have just kept going and say, Hey, I did the 75 hard, but you came out and you told everybody on social media, like, Hey, I I failed today. I had a misstep, you know? And, and that's the whole point behind it is, is to actually be accountable to yourself. Yeah. And, and that makes a huge difference. So um, outside that, are are there, before I I go back into your actual business and your career, any other final thoughts about kind of the mindset and, and holding yourself accountable and things along those lines? Yeah. I, I would encourage anybody if you've not done 75 hard to do it because the, you're so right, man. I mean, if you make, if you break the promises you keep to yourself, like how are you ever going to make it? Like yep. it just, it's not going to happen. So it actually took me about 143 days to finish 75 hard. I, I screwed it up twice. So, you know, the second time I missed a progress picture while I was traveling, just a picture, that's it. Wow. And I was, you know, again, I was like another 90 days in and I, I went to my wife and I said, I, I fell asleep last night. And as soon as I woke up, I knew I missed it. And she's like, well, who's going to know? I was like, I'll know. Yeah. I will know. And I can't, I've lived my entire life like that, 30 plus years, breaking promises to myself, quitting on stuff. And I was just like, I'm not doing it anymore. So if that's the ultimate program, if you've been somebody that breaks promises to yourself, I challenge you to do 75 hard because it, it is uh, an eye opener in the person you, you can become. Well, and why is that important as an entrepreneur? Well, when you break it down, we all set goals for ourselves. Let, let's talk about just marketing, right? Everybody wants to, when you go to Investor Fuel, what does yeah. everybody want to talk about? The new marketing. Who's the, what list are you using? SMS, RVMs, cold calling, direct mail. Everybody wants to figure this out. Yeah. So we all set KPIs for ourselves. And then if, you, if you're analyzing your KPIs, you're setting goals for yourself. Like I need to send... X amount of text messages to get X amount of leads, they get X amount of appointments, they get X amount of contracts, they get X amount of closings, right? These are typical KPIs. And if you sit there and say, let's just use a round number, 5,000 text messages a week. If you start breaking promises to yourself, it can be very easy to be like, hey, you know what? It's Friday, it's five o'clock, I'm ready to go home, team's already leaving. And we sent 4,500. Maybe nobody worse over the weekend. You could break that promise to yourself. The goal that you have where it's like, hey, we have to send 5,000 text messages to hit all of the other metrics. And when you start breaking those promises, and what you'll end up realizing is, is it's not just in one situation. It's pretty much throughout your whole company. You just start breaking promises to yourself across the board. That's why everybody jokes like now the thing in social media is, uh, New Year's resolutions or your goals for 2020. And then half the people are like, why are you even making goals? It's, it's going to be over with in February or March. You're right. only going to have these goals for January. So it, are those some of the things that you, you feel like 75 hard really made a difference for you and kind of changed how you analyze and how you handle yourself within your company? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it breaks it down simply, right? There's only so many tasks that you have to do to, to get through a day. They're not easy tasks, right. not by any stretch, but if you can do those, you can begin to implement that into your business saying, okay, I don't need to get this giant checklist of things done 
in order to have a win today? I'm, what, what are the most important things I need to get done in order to have a win today? And you're so right, man. It becomes a slippery slope. If you start breaking those promises to yourself, to your, you know, the, the people that you're leading and, you know, all that, it just begins to trickle and, and, and open up a big can of worms that might be hard to fix, you know, quite frankly. So you inspired me to do a 75 hard for titanium investments. Oh, nice. So I think you did a 75 hard for your company, right? My partner and I are both doing it. Yeah. So, but, but originally it was like all of your employees had like five things that they had to do every day, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So five critical tasks. Yep. And, and that, that was met with a lot of tension, wasn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So before it was met with a lot of tension, Ben told me about this and I was like, man, this is awesome. And like I said, at the beginning, I have a ton of respect for Ben. And, and so I was like, man, if, if Ben's doing this and, and I see the impact the 75 hearts make on him, I made a list of what I thought were five very simple things that everybody had to do every single day. And, uh, it, <clears throat> excuse me, it basically led to a bunch of people not working at titanium anymore. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it fully changed the course of our company. Um, and what at, at first felt like, Oh my goodness, like I'm, I'm getting rid of my entire team because they can't do these simple tasks. But that's what made me realize I had the wrong team. Yeah. Like if I ask you to do five simple things that I feel like are the five most important things that you can do in a day. And on day one, you did two of the five. And then on day two, you do zero of five. I mean, that made me realize right there, like, Hey, I don't have the right team around me. Yeah. And so thank you for changing the course of titanium investments. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, man. I'm glad that helps. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know what, it, it, it was eye-opening to see how it was received. You know, it was the accountability. It was right off the bat. And so I know you had some pushback with that. How's it going now with, with you and Odell? Are, are y'all both doing the 75 hard or did you kind of change it to specifically for the business? Yeah, so it's me and my other partner, John. We're doing 75 okay. hard together. So that's the reason I'm doing round two is he's like, I think I want to do it. I was like, great, do it. I'll do it with you. So, you know, and I think that is only going to serve our business better because he's going to fully understand having gone through that process, like yep. why I'm the lunatic that I am, you know, <laughs> inside of our business and why I expect, because if you go through it, excuses are just excuses. You, you, you have a, your tolerance level goes significantly down for any kind of excuse, because if I'm getting two workouts in a day, a gallon of water, I'm reading every single day, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do, what's your excuse? Right. You know? And I've got a, a, all these other responsibilities as a parent, I'm running, the, I'm running multiple businesses and I'm still getting the work done. So company culture is an easy thing to, to put down and say, all right, this is the culture that I want. It's difficult to build and it's also difficult to keep if you don't, like you did, eliminate the people that are pushing back against the culture that you want for your company. Yeah. So, and you know, what's funny about that is they actually got rid of themselves. Yeah. I mean, they, they literally just decided like, I don't like this. I don't want to be a part of this. And it was all because it went from being lackadaisical. Let's all have a good time. Yeah. We were making money, but it was, 
the, the culture wasn't what I would go to you and say, Hey, this is the culture of titanium investments. Yeah. And that's when I realized, again, I was just lying to myself and lying to people like you. And so when we made the change, it was, they eliminated themselves. They didn't want to be a part of that growth. And so I, I will forever be in debt to you for, for making that change for us. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's funny how that works, right? Like somebody else, you listen to a podcast and then, you know, it, it changes your life and then you share it out there. That's why I bring this up. I, for yeah. anybody that's listening right now, you might be listening to this and going, okay, so RJ, you're talking about something that another guy on a different podcast talks about. Well, hey, it changed Ben's life and in turn, it changed the whole course of our company. That's why I'm bringing this up. It's important to understand that uh, this personal development and, and holding yourself accountable and, and changing your culture of your company is very important if it's not where you want to be today. So that's why I brought this up. So moving away from that and going back to, to your current company, what yeah. do you, you talk about your team. What does the team look like today? And talk about the amount of transactions that you are doing with that team. Yeah. So we, um, we had, it started out just me and my partner, little one office, one room office. Uh, and then over the last uh, two years, we, we have three salespeople now, a virtual assistant. And then we just this year, uh, or in 2019, hired an operations manager, which is the greatest thing I ever did. Um, you know, it's taken so much off of my plate to become more of a visionary as opposed to the person that's just trying to implement everything. And uh, wow, what a, what an impact. I mean, I know a lot of people when they get started in real estate, they say the first, the best thing, the first hire you should make is an assistant because right. they can help you do clear up a lot of time in your day. Man, that's no bullshit. I mean, if you can hire somebody that can run your organization for you. They understand your vision and where you want to go. It's the greatest thing you can do. Like it costs money, but you can't look at it from a cost in terms of, you know, the, the freedom of time it creates to, to bring in more revenue and, and do the things we do is tremendous. So, but over the last two years, I think we've, you know, done about close to 400 deals. So it's, uh, it's, you know, I, and those are across the country, right? Yeah. Yeah. From Texas to the East coast pretty much. But I mean, it's, I, it's funny, you, you think about what your expectations are when you start a business, right? You're like, okay, if I could do five deals a month as a wholesaler, I'm going to be doing good, you know? And then right. you do five and you're like, well, damn, maybe that's not really my potential, you know? <laughs> and then you grow it, grow it, grow it. So I think that's constantly what I'm chasing is just saying, all right, what is our potential? What can we actually do, you know? Because I don't want to leave it on the table. That's like my biggest fear. You know, it used to fear death, you know, just dying. And now I, I, I think more than death, I fear like, all right, the, the example that I lead to my daughter is like, do I, did I give it everything? And she can right. look at me and say, all right, that, that's the kind of person I want to become. So. so when you talk about doing 400 deals, how many of those, cause y'all are owner financing some of those yeah. yourselves, right? Yes. So how many of those are just regular dispositions, AKA wholesales, I guess is the best way to describe yeah. it for you guys compared to owner finances. Yeah. So the first, uh, the first 18 months, it was about 50, 50. So last year that changed, it went to about 70% cash deals and 30% owner finance. So, which was kind of surprising to me because I thought, all right, maybe with the, the tax law change, people are going to get, uh, more money back 
and they'll have more money to put down to buy a house. But the cash sales were just have been feverish, you know, so that it just continues to drive. And that might just be a timing issue where they're not on the market long enough for somebody to come along and say, I want to buy this on, I want to finance it. So, so do y'all open it up where it's, you get to choose like, yes. Hey, here's the cash price and here's the owner finance price. And these are the terms. Yes, exactly. So we market it both ways. So whenever we get a deal, it's, it's marketed both ways. And then whatever the market brings us is, is what we'll do. So our, we're, we're, uh, we have private money people and they understand the concept and they're good with either whatever is, is going to be a good deal. They're, they're willing to do. So for all of my listeners right now that are listening to this and they're wanting to get into long-term investments, rental properties, things along those lines, are you the kind of company that they should reach out to and look to, to buy something owner finance and then turn around and make it into a rental property? Yeah, we have investors doing that now. So, you know, we don't just uh, owner finance to people that are going to occupy the property. So we've had, uh, this is actually probably one of the things I'm the most proud of is we've started investors off that were just at that point. They like want to do it. They just don't have maybe, everything together in order to be able to do it. So us offering owner financing gives them a foot in the door to mm -hmm. where, you know, we can essentially be the private money lender. To right. Them. And now I've got several investors. I got a couple in Detroit and a couple in Indiana that started that way. And they've done multiple deals with us. Now they've got rentals for themselves. They're building their own wealth from it. They've flipped deals. So yeah, it just depends on, to answer your question, it depends on where you're looking and, and what kind of investor you want to be. But for sure, I mean, there's, there's always deals. It's just a matter of place for someone. And you have some very affordable deals as well because you are buying them from the banks, extremely discounted. And then also you're in some of the markets in the Midwest, very low entry price points that yeah. they could come in. What's a, what's a typical down payment that you guys are looking for? Is it 10, 20, 30%? What are you guys looking for? Yeah, we shoot for a minimum of 10%. Obviously, if we can get more, we get more. Uh, it strengthens the, the value of the note. Um, but, you know, our average acquisition price, you know, is about 8000 bucks. Wow. And what we're able to do, if we owner finance the deal, we could do two and a half to three times that, right? So if I buy a deal for 50000 it's very difficult for me to do two and a half to three times, right. you know, that. So these are kind of that sweet spot. And the average term will be, you know, uh, I think it's about uh, seven years on that note in order for them to, to pay it off. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a fun business. It's just a What are you doing with the notes after you create them? Are you selling them or are you holding them? We've just started doing that. Uh, we started doing some partials. So we, we've, we've gotten, you know, some good seasoning on a, a good chunk of our notes. So, uh, and that's the most fun part of the note business. And it, it, it creates opportunities because you can liquidate without liquidating. Right. So partial, you know, so you can, you can get some a money grab up front and that, that's, that faucet will turn on later to redistribute the cash flow down the road. Um, so we're just now starting to do that. But for us, our end game was always about the cash flow. It was saying, okay, let's build this up so that we've got the financial freedom that we want. And, you know, within a year, we had six figures of, of cash flow. It's crazy how quickly it went. Do you ever see yourselves, because your end game is cash flow, 
do you ever see yourselves going away where you're say, I won't sell a property cash. I'll only owner finance it. No, I don't, I don't think it's wise to pigeonhole yourself into one particular thing. Um, you know, Odell said something to me that it took me a while to learn in the beginning was like, you don't go broke making a dollar. Like it, that seems so simple, right? But it's right. like, you don't go broke making a dollar. And there were times where I, when I first, the first couple of properties I bought just myself, you know, just to kind of like learn the business, I held out for more money when it would have been profitable. I could have just said, Hey, I'll take it and move on and buy another deal. I just didn't know that there were always going to be a lot more deals to choose from. I was in a, a you know, a shortage mindset, not abundance. So, you know, that was some, a, a valuable lesson I had to learn in the beginning. But yeah, I don't think I'd, I'd just pigeonhole myself into one particular thing. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, this is a great deal for me and we make money on it, great, that's fine. There's gonna be more deals. So there's a lot of discussion about where we are in the market cycle. Are we starting to downturn? Is it starting to go down? Considering the fact that you're buying from banks, are you seeing an increase in volume of properties for you to purchase? We have not seen an increase. In fact, it's gotten uh, a little bit tighter probably over the last six to eight months. So the, the, the volume of deals available has, has shrunk a little bit. Now that being said, what do you think that's saying about the market? That people are eating up the deals. I mean, so there's just not a lot of deals to be had. So it's still a, a, a a seller market in terms of people wanting to buy stuff. So yeah, I, I've not seen that shift yet. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't foreclosures that haven't hit the market yet. I mean, there's still certainly those, but it'll, I mean, I don't think you and I will ever see it like it was, you know, five, seven years ago. Agreed. You know, Agreed. But, uh, yeah, for, for this market and what we do, it's, it's shrunk up a little bit, which is, you know, why we continue to, not only focus on one thing and we try to diversify a little bit. So is that, do you guys only focus on a certain price point or do you, do you any price point that's available? Yeah. Any, anything that's a deal we'll look at. So, you know, gotcha. but for us, I mean, we're, we are kind of spoiled in that, in, in what we're able to get at price points, you know? So when I look at a lot of deals, I'm like, I am kind of jaded, I think, sometimes when I look at a deal, a wholesaler sends me something, I'm like, man, it's just, you know, 70% of ARV, I just don't, I can't get that excited about it. You right. Know? But it, it was funny because uh, I sent you a portfolio at one point in time and you looked at it um, yeah. and you broke it down and it was interesting just to see the deals that you did pick and the deals that you kind of passed over. And yeah. and I I sat there for a while and just kind of looked at it and I was like, it's so interesting to see how you analyzed your business and what you were willing to take on and what you weren't. And uh, it, it's incredible. I think you're the first guest that's come on here. I've had some people in the Midwest, but you're definitely the first person that said that your average price for acquisitions is $8,000. I mean, <laughs> that, that is, that is a, an astonishing number. So um, moving away from that, I know you've got a new exciting venture that you're a part of. So um, why don't you tell everybody what that is? Yeah. So I got, uh, like I told you, I, I, we used to go to these conferences where I would learn, just sit in the back of the room and absorb as much as I could. And the one that I went to where I got the most value was uh, Noteworthy. 
So the, the Noteworthy Investor Summit, the Noteworthy Convention, they have a couple of different events. And it, it, it's weird how things work. I, you know, had been putting out what I've been doing, you know, in terms of personal development, 75 hard. I got a phone call one day uh, from the owner of Noteworthy. He says, hey, listen, I'm thinking of selling the company. Um, you know, you're the only person I thought of in terms of getting involved. And it was a natural fit for us. Um, and by the way, you know, they, they remained on because I said, there's no way I'm not doing, I'm doing this without you. I mean, you bring too much to the table and right. I think you do some really interesting things with it. And I also looked at it and said, you know what, I'm tired of going to these real estate events where it's a, uh, Hey, if you rush to the back of the room now, you can get this today's only price of, you know, $10,000 and blah, blah, blah. So I said, I don't want to be involved in any of that. Like, I just really want to provide straight up value, have people come out, they actually teach something that somebody could go home and learn just the same value that I got out of it. Because that's all I did. I, I went home and I took action. Most people don't do that. But if right. they come in and get value and say, okay, if you go do ABC, you're going to get XYZ, but you got to do the work first. That's the kind of organization I wanted to be a part of. So I, uh, we bought into the Noteworthy Conference and it's twofold. One, because I want to give back, and two, because it's a good fit for our business. I'll have a, another distribution model for our notes. I'll have an opportunity to network with people that are in that business, are looking for inventory, um, you know, that maybe want to get involved in the owner finance piece that we do. So it is somewhat self-serving, but I, I, I didn't want it to be a hugely profitable business from the the sale of education and all that stuff. I really wanted to just say, all right, this part is going to benefit us and this part is going to benefit the public to where we can teach them to do what we do. Or, you know, we can have somebody that comes in, they know about multifamily syndication, come in and learn how to get involved in multifamily. I don't have a part of it. You just do what you want to do. Right. Or if you want to buy wholesale deals, come in and learn how to, to partner up with wholesalers so you can find the deals that you're looking for across the country and you can turn them into owner finance. So, yeah, so that the noteworthy uh, uh, convention was a big thing I wanted to get involved with, and uh, I'm super excited about it. I think we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. So how often are they? What does it look like? Is it a mastermind, or is it just a one-time conference? Yes, it's not a mastermind like with us for Investor Fuel. Um, you know, we're going to have different people within the industry come in and speak, people that are actually successful and do well at it. Right. Uh, which happens at masterminds, obviously. I mean, that's that's a whole different thing. Um, but this is, uh, we're gonna, uh, our first event is coming up at the end of February. It's in California and Anaheim. And then we're gonna probably do one in Orlando, close to where I'm at here in Florida, and then maybe one in Vegas in the fall. Gotcha. And how much does it cost to go to, well, well actually you have a you have a special gift, gift for our listeners, right? They're, they're gonna get a link on this? I do, yes. So if you check the show notes, uh, there's going to be a link in there for you, and I'll put in a promo code as well, okay. uh, so they can get 250 bucks off our ticket. Uh, so it's just notetools.com forward slash titanium. Awesome. Well, definitely check that out, guys, because like I said at the beginning, and I've said throughout, uh, Ben is one of these guys that uh, I I highly respect. Every time I speak to you, Ben, man, you you, you blow my mind. Um, just, <laughs> I mean, you're just, you're one of those guys that I, I just, I look at, I, I respect so much how you carry yourself and how much hard work you put on 
into yourself and, and growing and developing. And you brought up a great point about education there that I want to go back and touch on because there is a negative connotation around real estate investing and education. Rightfully so for some of these, go to the back of the room, max out your credit cards. Here, we'll show you how to get a credit card and put $50,000 on it. Exactly. I, I, I disagree with that tactic. Yes. But for some of us, because real estate investing changed our lives. Ben, how long ago did you start? I've been in real estate investing since 2006. Got wiped out in the recession and then started again about six years ago. So there you go. I, I will say I've been full-time five years as of January 1st. Been back in the game for six years. This changed our lives. And, yes. and it, it changed the course of our family trees. And we, every day we go to work to continue to create generational wealth for our families, right? And, and also be great examples for our children. And at some point in time, you realize that you have the opportunity to share some of that knowledge with other people, make a difference in their lives, and yes, also do business with those people. There becomes a point in time where it's like, I have enough knowledge that I can share that with people and I can in turn do more business with more people. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's literally the definition of a reciprocal relationship. And that is really the, one of the strongest foundations of real estate investing is building reciprocal relationships. And so like full transparency, uh, I, I love doing business with other people. I tried to do business with Ben and I totally messed it up and, and <laughs> I, I, I will forever, you know, uh, be upset about that because relationships are so important to me. Ben and I talked about it at Investor Fuel for hours on end and uh, it's, it's one of those things. So I love what you're doing with Noteworthy, man. Uh, we're doing the same thing with Next Level Flipping, getting out there and just helping people. And every day it's like people are posting in our group about, hey, I'm trying to do this deal or I'm trying to, maybe it's wholesale, maybe it's multifamily, maybe it's a flip. Who knows what it is, but we have the knowledge or we have people in the group that we can literally just tag and they help each other. And so that's the power of masterminds. That's the power of conferences. So I'm super excited for you and, and your partners with Noteworthy. Um, I'll definitely have to check it out myself because we do a lot of owner financing ourselves and I have a ton to learn um, in that space because we're, we're babies in it. So Ben, thank you so much for taking the time today. Any final thoughts for our listeners before we sign off? Pleasure is mine, man. I just say you, you, you closed it up perfectly. Relationships are so key. And I'll, I'll just say, man, look, you, you have this idea. Like I, I, I messed it up. I messed it up. Listen, if you and I didn't have a relationship, then it could be looked at like that. But when you have a, a good relationship with somebody even if you screw it, perceive that you screwed it up or did something wrong, that relationship is going to endure. And that's why this, these circles inside of real estate are so tight knit because if you form a solid relationship, it can take you to a whole new level. Even if it doesn't work out at the beginning, there's no telling where it's going to go because you keep it positive and you keep it moving forward. Hey man, I appreciate that. But uh, you know, one of my quirks that I have to get over is I'm a perfectionist. Uh, for, for, I, I keep sharing little nuggets about being a podcast host. So I'll share another one, uh, for anyone out there that's ever listened to one of my episodes. If you've ever heard me stutter 
at any point in time or say, uh, 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 anything like that, I literally beat myself up for the rest of the day. So <laughs> I don't edit these episodes at all. And uh, I pride myself on that. I want to keep it very organic. And uh, so I'm just a perfectionist, man. That's all it is. So that's why I give myself a hard time about that deal. But keep going, man. You're doing yeah, awesome. So, all right. Uh, for everyone that's listening, uh, if you're on iTunes, give us a five-star rating. Um, if you want to give a four or below star rating, give it to someone else. Um, not me. I only accept five-star ratings. And uh, on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. That's our show for this week. We'll see y'all soon. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.